0: The verse that stuck out to me this week is Isaiah 45. And I want you to turn there real quick, if you would. The book of Isaiah, chapter 45. Isaiah 45. I want to read one down through verse 7, which will bring us to the verse that has uh, stuck out to me this week in a fairly significant way. The word of the Lord says, This is what the Lord says to his anointed. The twist, his anointed is a pagan king. Okay, the anointed being the one selected for a specific task. Cyrus is the king of Assyria. He's the king who defeated the undefeatable Babylon of his day. Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of. Now, think about that. "...to subdue nations before him, to strip kings of their armor, so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and will level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness that is unseen, riches stored in secret places." so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel who summons you by name. Now you can read that faster. You can slow down and say, wow. He summons you by name. I summon you, Cyrus, for the sake of my servant of Israel, my chosen. I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor. That you do not acknowledge me. That's a sovereign God. I am the Lord. And there is no other. Apart from me there is no God. Which is to say all others are false. Charades. I will strengthen you. Though you have not acknowledged me. So that from the rising of the sun to its setting. Which means everywhere. Men may know that there is none besides me. I am the Lord. There is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and I create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. Now, let me confess up front. I don't even have the capacity To explain to you the depth and nuances of that passage of Scripture, I think I have a decent understanding of what verse 7 is saying. I bring prosperity and I create disaster, I create light and I create darkness. I rule from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. Where is that? It's everywhere. So this text, I think, fundamentally focuses on a doctrine that most of us as believers find troubling, and it's one that many of us don't talk about because we're afraid of what it means. We're afraid of the if-then dilemma. If God is that sovereign, that He brings prosperity and creates disaster, Okay, that truth will shake you because you're going to start thinking through the ramifications of it, and you're going to realize that you serve a God who is sovereign to a degree that you cannot explain, nor can you fully understand and comprehend. Now, I would guess that most of us sitting in this room have had some circumstance in our life that defied explanation. Or we've been confronted with a question from someone that we simply had to say, I have to tap out. I can't answer that question. And it usually relates to questions about the sovereignty of God and the pain and suffering that many of us experience at some point along the way in our lives. And we wrestle with what it is for us to grasp relating to a God who brings prosperity and creates disaster, both stated equally and with equal certainty. So this morning, our topic is the sovereignty of God or simply the truth that God is in control. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, he is in control. What is the sovereignty of God? Carmelo didn't know what I was preaching on, but we sang about it this morning. He is mighty to save. He is able to work. He is able to do abundantly beyond all that we would ever ask or think. The sovereignty of God is His capacity, His innate ability to do all His holy will and purpose. Which is to say what? God can do whatever God wants to do. He's never attempted something that He felt Himself inadequate to accomplish. Never. Now, Tim Hoff has a house littered with things that I began in 1998. (laughs) Littered. I had to call in some uh, help recently. One of them is a newer friend of mine, Darren, here, sitting there next to Neddard. Darren knows things about HVAC that I don't know. About gas piping, it's good to have someone that knows what's going on with that stuff. I just realized, you know what, I'm beyond my capacity. Had my friend Mike Balboa come by. He's an electrician, licensed installer and inspector. I've been messing with electricity lately. My wife can tell you what happened at our house on Thursday night, right? Wednesday night. I'm still shaking. I was taking a knockout out of the side of my 200 amp panel. Now, real men don't shut off the panel. Okay? Just... For clarity, they're not afraid, okay, <laughs> yet. <laughs> so I'm, I'm wiggling this knockout, and my phone rings. So lesson number one, when your phone rings, and you're working on your 200 amp service panel, ignore it. Unless you have a healthy sense of ADD, you answer it and say, I can do this. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I saw a white light, and I took out the 200 amp service panel with a loud pop, and then that predictable voice from above saying, what did you do? (laughs) From my wife who came prancing down the steps with a flashlight, and I said, I'm in a little too bit of shock and I can't see. Something happened. Went through a wire, caught the edge of the box, grounded out, fortunately with rubber tipped pliers, rubber handled, I was praising God for that, and I have an arc in the side of my pliers to prove that I was beyond my capacity. Now I shook when I thought about it for a while. Because it was like a white out. The black stains are all over the box. The ark. But I'm alive. Because God is sovereign. <clears throat> and I'm grateful for that. God is sovereign in this sense. That he has the ability to do all his holy will Perfectly. God has never said, oops. I've said it so many times. I said it the other night. I don't think any profanity came out of my mouth, but I think it was tempted to come out. I was scared. The sovereignty of God is God's power to do what he decides to do without limits. Meaning there is nothing that can stand in the way of the purposes of God. He is that extraordinary, He is that competent, He is that capable. So I spent some time this week going through some scriptures that declare for us the truth of Isaiah 45, 7. I'm going to encourage you, memorize Isaiah 45, verse 7. Where God says to us, I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I am the Lord who does all these things. So let me bounce you around in Scripture a little bit. You don't have to look these up. You can just listen. Isaiah forty-eight, forty-five, eighteen. 45, 18, you can look at. Just flip over one page or stay right where you are. Verse 18. For this is what the Lord says. Who is the Lord? He is the one who created the heavens and the earth. He is God. He who fashioned and made the earth and founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Well, how sovereign is God? He is sovereign enough that he created all things. Revelation 4.11 picks up on the theme of God's hand in creation. It says, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power and blessing. Why? You created all things. By your will, they exist and have their very being. And God is the one who created all things. Therefore, God is the one who controls all things. There's nothing he has made that he can't control. Including every one of us, our lives, and our circumstances. And in light of the fact that he is the creator, he says, I am the Lord and there is no other. And so to him, what do we give? Glory and honor and power and blessing. Are we, give, are we making God more powerful? that we're doing when we give God power and honor and glory and blessing? No, we're attributing to God the weightiness of who He is. That's what it is to glorify God. It's to attribute to Him the characteristics that are true about who He is. Most clearly revealed in the act of creation. In directing and using difficult and sometimes even evil circumstances for good, God is sovereign. Genesis chapter 50, you know, the story of Joseph, who because of the hatred of his brothers is sold into slavery after their plan to murder him kind of falls apart. They kind of lose the will to do what they wanted to do. After God works miraculously and reveals to to his family that he is their brother, whose God has raised up to second place in the nation of Egypt, has brought all of Israel down, 70 people, preserved their life through what? Through the wicked plan of his brothers. God is working all things. When dad dies, Jacob dies, what do the 11 brothers think? Ooh. What if Joseph's like us? And they start to fear for their lives. His brothers came and they threw themselves before him. Every one of them older than him. Which is the fulfillment of what God showed them years before, right? When the stars would bow down to the moon. They come to him and they bow down before him. We are your slaves, they said. Now I am the youngest of three brothers. That never happened to me. I I wait for the day. We are your slaves, they said. But lo, Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. Now listen to this next statement. All right, you intended to harm me means what? They made a mistake, right? Oh, sorry, I didn't, we didn't mean to do that to you, Joseph. Is that what they did? Yes or No. No. They made a plan, executed a plan to destroy their brother. And God intervened. You intended to harm me, to ruin me. You know what the next phrase says? But God, well, he kind of overwhelmed the work through the circumstances to get to the conclusion he wanted. (laughs) Like you guys moved on the chessboard, and then God kind of reacted to what you were doing. You intended to harm me. But God intended it, your murderous hatred, for good. To accomplish what is now being done for the saving of many souls. And, folks, you know what that is? That's a sovereign God. Yeah, but, Pastor, that leaves me with questions I can't answer. Me, too. But what they did intentionally, God was doing intentionally over and through and above their actions to preserve the life of many. And Joseph says, in light of that truth, I will provide for you and your children. And so he assured them. What, what could strain Joseph from being reactionary in this troubling family situation where people, they didn't just dislike him. They didn't want to divorce him. They wanted to kill him. What, what holds you back? What keeps the seatbelt on spiritually? God intended it for good. If your God is not sovereign, you will take control. You will not live, Romans 12, leave room for the wrath of God. You will take the place of God and wreak havoc in your own life and in the life of those around you. God is sovereign in the directing and using, in this case, of evil for good. He intended it and overcame it. God is sovereign and ruling over the actions of the evil one. Do you believe that? Most of you are saying, uh, is that a trick question? <laughs> one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. The Lord has said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Who brings up Job's name? Who brings up Job's name? Who does? Is everybody uncertain or God? Notice what it says. Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him. He is blameless and an upright man who fears God and hates evil. God is sovereign in prosperity and poverty. Do you hear what I'm saying? He's sovereign in poverty and prosperity. Okay, so for the one that wants to preach, God wants his people to be prosperous. I recommend them to read the book of Job. What does Job say? The Lord gives and takes away. And in both cases. What is he? He's sovereign and in control. God is sovereign in calling and choosing people and nations. Isaiah 45, 4 through 5. For the sake of my servant of Israel, my chosen, verse 4 of Isaiah 45, I summon you, Cyrus, by name, and I bestow on you a title of honor, though you don't acknowledge me. Cyrus, I'm going to bring blessing into your life because that is my sovereign wish because I'm going to use you to accomplish my purposes. I am the Lord. There is no other. Meaning, my plan in your life for the blessing of my people cannot be thwarted. Even though Cyrus refused to acknowledge God. That statement to me is amazing. It's not Cyrus, you know, I've been watching you and you. You have a good heart. And so Cyrus, I'm, I'm going to use you to do this thing that I want to do. You know what he says to Cyrus? He says, Cyrus, you don't even acknowledge that I exist. By your pagan worship, you degrade and de-God me. But I am going to show my strength. I am going to show my utter, absolute sovereignty and use you to bring blessing and deliverance to my people. God is sovereign in calling and choosing people and nations and in protecting israel through cyrus what is god saying i am in control god is sovereign in placing specific people in specific places if you think in your mind for a moment of people that god placed in specific places for specific purposes does any names come to mind or do any names that's good english right does any names come to mind Any names come to mind? God placing people in specific places for specific purposes. Give me a name, everyone. Esther is the first one that comes to mind, right? A Jewish girl ends up in the palace of a pagan nation. There's a beauty pageant. She ends up as queen. Then a death threat comes for the people of Israel. Her uncle Mordecai, because of his incredible integrity and character and the sovereignty of God, is in a place of heavy influence. He sends a messenger to Esther and says to Esther, Esther, you know what? You have a chance to make a difference in people's lives. You have a chance to save your people. Esther writes back and says this Tell Mordecai that the king hasn't called me in for 30 days. To go into the king uninvited will be almost certainly death. Mordecai writes back to her after she says, are you crazy? Uncle Mordecai challenges her based on the providence of God. Based on the fact that God is in control, Esther, of everything in your life. Esther 4, verse 12. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. I just, he's talking to the queen. He says, Do not think that because you are in the king's house that you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. What is, what is Mordecai saying? God is going to preserve the people that he has chosen for his purposes. So will you step up? If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish, including who? Mordecai himself. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. What is Mordecai saying? Esther, don't think you're in your circumstance as some sort of cosmic mistake. You are where you are by the plan of God. Not the whim of fate, but the hand of providence, which for all of us this morning includes your job, your co-workers, your school, your siblings, your extended family, your in-laws, your children, your mate, your flat tire, which we had on Thursday or Friday. Difficult and challenging person next door. Whatever circumstance is running through your mind, God knows and God controls. The struggle with your child, the struggle with your marriage, the, str- the fear in your workplace, the anxiety that you face. God wants you to know that he is above it. He is not controlled by it. He is not subject to win- subject to the winds of circumstances and the decisions of people. He is sovereign. Acts chapter 16 and verse 6. Here's what the Bible says. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. What does that mean? having been kept by the Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. What is that saying? God did not allow Paul and Silas at that time to go to a specific area to proclaim the gospel. During the night, Paul had a vision. Okay, so God prevents them, keeps them in a location. And they're saying what? Same thing Alan and Peggy have shared with us. Sometimes we went there. We were going here. God closed the door. Why? Because he's in control. Okay, he's sovereign in an absolute and exhaustive way. Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia, a neighboring region. In this dream, this person is begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. Concluding... That God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And guess what happened when Paul and Silas got there? They preached the word of God. And then what happened? They got thrown in jail. Ooh. So if you're Paul, what do you say? Why, I guess Silas, we got that one wrong. All depends on how you view God. All depends on how you view God. In Acts chapter 16, as they preached in Macedonia, here's what the Bible says. It says, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira. Her name was Lydia. She was a seller of textiles, purple textiles. She was a God-fearer. Now listen to this. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the Lord's message. You know what amazes me? What amazes me is that many people want a God who is... Sovereign in their life. Illustration. A young lady is waiting for Prince Charming. Presumably at some point in her life, that was my wife. <laughs> waiting for that right person. And I have people do this with me all the time. Oh, Pastor, I know God has the person for me. He doesn't let that up the chance. But when you challenge people of the sovereignty of God in relationship to the gospel, what do they want to say? Oh, no, no, that's up to people's choice. Okay. God opened Lydia's heart to respond to Paul's message. You know what that does for me in sharing the gospel? That fills me with a boldness that does not live in fear of messing up, of saying the wrong thing. Because you know what that does? That locks you in silence. You know why most of us don't share the gospel as regularly as we should? Because we're afraid of messing up. And we don't think we serve a God who is sovereign. We think he's sovereign in selecting our mates. But we don't think somehow he's not sovereign in this area. And I don't know how you explain this verse away. To me, it it breeds confidence in the gospel. It breeds encouragement and sharing with people. Let God open people's hearts. You don't have to leverage people. You don't, oh, I said I was so little good. How could they not respond now? Because the heart is deceitful above above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And until God sovereignly opens the door like He did in Lydia's heart, then the gospel can't flood. And when God joins with the proclamation of the gospel, hearts open and people repent and their lives are changed and they're forgiven by the blood of Christ. That's the glory of the gospel. So I don't go out and share Jesus with people for God. We go out and proclaim the goodness of the gospel with God. That's why over and over in the Gospels, Jesus says, hey, by the way, when you're faced with the circumstance where you have an opportunity to speak the truth, do it with boldness because I will speak through you. I know what I'm seeking to accomplish and I am able to do more than you would ever ask or think. God is sovereign in the saving of souls. And I would challenge you in this way to open your heart and to grasp what this means. How many of you are currently praying for someone that you know that doesn't know Jesus that you would love to see come to know Christ? Raise your hand if you're praying for someone. You say, I'm earnestly praying. Okay, what are you asking God to do? Are you saying, God, please make them smart enough to see what I was smart enough to see? Every person I know in this room that I've prayed with for the salvation of souls has said something like this. God, Open their heart. How else are you going to pray? How else would you pray for someone's salvation? You wouldn't ask God, God, make them bright enough. Make them smart enough. Help them to see it. And say, God, open their heart. Do what I can't do. I am weak. I am unable. That's why the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 3, he says, we are not sufficient for these things. I can't change someone's heart. And I can't live with the burden of having to change someone's heart. I can't do it. But if you go out knowing that God is at work. And you join with him. You will begin to see opportunities that you have never seen. And you will find a a lack of anxiety. and, and And a sense of boldness and encouragement. That you can now not share Jesus. don't want to offend you. But you will become a person who proclaims Christ. As Paul says in Romans 1:16 to 17. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation for every one that believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. But Paul says, I share it boldly. And in Ephesians 6, what does he say at the end of the chapter? We looked at it last week. He says, and pray for me that I may speak the word of God fearlessly as I should. Now, what is Paul saying? God is sovereign in salvation. God is also sovereign in the means that he has chosen to take it to the nations and to your neighbor and to your friend. He's sovereign in both. So you don't look at the sovereignty of God and say, well, if God's doing it, then I don't have to do anything. Wrong. He gives you a directive. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Share joyfully the message that exalts and glorifies God and makes Jesus Christ himself weighty, heavy, and personal for people. God is sending his son, his sovereign, in the sending of his son Jesus to die. Acts 2 verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Now, Peter speaking as a Jew to his Jewish friends. He says, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to you by God by miracles and wonders and signs which God did among you through him. Sovereign means sovereign God working through a glorious Savior. He did it through him as you yourselves know. This man... Now listen to this, this man, Jesus Christ, the sinless, perfect son of God was handed over to you by God's, please listen to these words, deliberate plan and for knowledge. He knew ahead of time what he was going to do and he caused it to happen. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing on a cross. Folks, I want to tell you something. God did not send Jesus Christ to earth and hope that things would work out the way that he planned. Standing back waiting to see if they would or would not put him to death to pay the price for our sin and to purchase for us forgiveness and redemption. He didn't leave that to chance. He wasn't an open God waiting to see what would happen and responding. He was a God who was carrying out a deliberate plan and purpose that was written from the foundation of the world before time began to rescue sinners from their sin. He is that sovereign. In healing and sickness, God is sovereign. John 9, 1-3. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples said to him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his mother, because obviously he's blind, so somebody had to do something wrong, right? Karma. The reason he's blind is somebody did something wrong. What does Jesus say? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, not proclaiming their perfection. This is where an understanding of hermeneutics will help you. Is he saying that his parents were perfect people? What is he saying? This man's blindness is not the result of what? Any particular choice that his parents made. Follow that? Because what is the assumption? Well, if you get trouble in your life, it can't be that God's sovereign. You must have done something wrong. What does Jesus say? He says this happened. That the works of God might be displayed. In him. Now, folks that is glorious. And the healing of that man. And the changing of his life. And him going out into the streets. And them saying. Hey how would you get your sight back? What does he say? I don't know who did it. But I know one thing. I was blind. And now I see. I encountered someone. Who sovereignly. Who in an overwhelming way spoke sight. And it happened. Now who can do that? you see? The sovereign plan that this man would experience blindness for 30 plus years. And we shudder at that thought, don't we? Because then you start thinking in your mind. You're thinking. Wait, is God that sovereign? Jesus said this happened. So that God would be glorified. Folks, here's the question I have for you this morning. What circumstance has God allowed to come into your life? Bless you. If you believe God's sovereign, you can say, I'm glad that's over. <laughs> what circumstance in your life do you look at and attribute the chance And as a result, it has held you in bondage. It has totally and utterly captivated you. Because it is bigger than your God. What person have you not shared Jesus with because you know they're not ready? I can give you names of people that I have been quiet with. Because I'm waiting for the right opportunity. You know what God says? Go into all the world. Share what Christ has done. And watch what I do. And if you're afraid because you feel inadequate, remember the testimony of Lori Schlaffer, or of Lauren Schlaffer, who was invited to our church by a young lady who had just come to hear the good news. I don't even know if she had trusted Christ yet. But God used a simple invitation, a bold invitation to change someone's life. Now, I'll admit this this morning. I'll admit that God's sovereignty can be a troubling truth for us as his children. I'll admit that it raises questions that Tim Hoff simply cannot answer. But I also must say that I refuse to try to explain away the plain teaching of Scripture. Because I don't think explaining it away brings any comfort. I believe that a clear, bold proclamation of the truth about God and His attribute of sovereignty, that is that He is the God who is able to do every one of His His holy wills and purposes, that He can accomplish every one of them, is one of the most comforting truths that we as believers can embrace. I believe that God's sovereignty is exhaustive. Isaiah 45 in verse 6 says this, So that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, men may know there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Everywhere God is sovereign. It's why Romans 8.28 serves to bring such comfort and encouragement to the people of God. For God causes what? All things. Now folks, either you believe that or you don't. Or you have to come up with some aberrant definition of all so that you can be comfortable with your view of God. Because a God who is utterly sovereign in a world where there is pain becomes virtually untenable for you and for me at times. You know what I need to do? I don't need to redefine God. I don't need to find a way to re-explain these verses so that God, He's just not that exhaustively in control, is He? Folks, there is great comfort in knowing that God's sovereignty is exhaustive That he is working, Romans 8.28 says, actively, energetically, in all things. And that his sovereignty involves cause and working, as I hopefully have demonstrated for you this morning. It is more than God permitting or allowing, which is how everybody tries to explain away the things that God does that we don't understand. Well, he allowed that hurricane. He allowed that tornado. He permitted it. Show me that in Scripture. Show me that the death of Christ in Scripture was not the plan of a holy God to send His Son to bear the weight of my sin, the wrath I deserve after living the life I could never live. Tell me that that was just spun out there by chance. And we'll see if the dart hits the bullseye. And if it doesn't, we'll try again. I don't know how you can read the life of Christ and not see the sovereign hand of God seeking to redeem every one of us by his grace from our sin. I don't know how you can see that or not see that. He is in control in a way that I will confess I don't fully understand by any stretch. But I know what Isaiah 45.7 says. I bring prosperity and I create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. Psalm 115.3, a verse that struck me a few years back and I shared it with you. Our God is in the heavens and He does what pleases Him. He is in the heavens, which is to say what? He is over everything. And He is doing what in a glorious way is pleasing Him. And this morning I would like to suggest that our explanation of God's control of all things is is often more nuanced than the Bible's presentation of the sovereignty of God. That we've, we've kind of, we've massaged it so that it's not offensive. But we end up with a God who is weak and not in control. I would call you back to the God of Isaiah 45 and verse 7. So that the God who in many cases is barely recognizable when you read about Him in Scripture and listen to what you hear, that he will be seen in clarity as a sovereign God who is in total control of our lives. So that the irony of this distance between the God that we proclaim and the God we read about in Scripture, is clo- this gap is closed. So we serve a God who is so utterly sovereign that we can live in absolute and total confidence because he is, in fact, doing everything that he promised. And I would also argue that until this truth has at some level shaken you, troubled you, bothered you, which it does for me at times can't really okay, be honest that until it does that, until it causes me to say, "Wait wait, wait, wait. let me read that again. You won't understand the circumstances in your life, and you will not be able to respond appropriately. You will think it comes down to your decisions and your will and your purposes when it doesn't. Our aim as the people of God and as the children of God should be, de- should be to declare the whole truth about who God is. And when we finally grasp this idea of a God who is utterly and completely sovereign in every circumstance of our life, every circumstance of our life, we start to ask the question, okay, if God is that sovereign, how should I live? how should I respond to my circumstances? How do I I exercise a deep trust in God? And I I think an understanding of God's sovereignty is going to prompt us to move in two different directions. One is going to prompt us towards waiting patiently. Because when I get anxious about whether or not God's in control, you know who takes control? Me. And when I do, it gets ugly. It gets ugly fast. Why in Romans twelve verse seventeen God says, "Do not take revenge." Tim, Matt, don't get mad at that coworker. You're big enough to hurt him bad. Don't do it. Okay. In your circle, what is your circumstance that God is saying, "Hey, ho, ho! Listen, I'm in control. Follow me." How do we follow him? We wait patiently on the Lord. Those that wait on the Lord, Isaiah says, what? They will renew their strength. Why? Because bad circumstances take it out of you. Waiting on the Lord does what? He causes you to rise on wings like eagles. We sing this stuff. He wants to hold you and sustain you in your current circumstance. For His glory. He is sovereign in it. No matter what it is. He was never surprised. He didn't look at what happened in your life last week at any time and say, Oh my word. Never happened prompts patient waiting, but it also prompts bold, lifelong, durable obedience. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't take revenge. Don't get angry. Don't be bitter. Don't quarrel. Don't kill. Trust in the Lord. Why? Well, because he's... Usually taking care of things in your life. He's concerned about some things in your life. No, because he's in charge of what? All things. I have every reason to trust a God like that. Who has the capacity to deal with all things. Because he made all things. My pastor used to say it this way. He used to say, do what's right. And leave the results with God. That is so hard. You know what I like to do? I like to think I've done the right thing, and take credit for the results. Proverbs three, five, and six says, "Trust in the Lord with all your heart; don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him." What do you want me to do? And He will make your path straight. Now, what He doesn't promise is that He's going to pave the road hundreds of miles down, so you can watch your dog run away on it for three days. Okay? Doesn't promise that. You know what He does? He usually asks you to step into something called a Red Sea experience and see the salvation of God. You know, Israel didn't arrive at the Red Sea and see a way through the water. They arrived at the Red Sea, and Moses is saying, and he's hearing them saying, let's kill him. Let's go back to Egypt. We're going to die. And what comes? Panic, fear. God says to Moses, you go stand at the edge of that sea. Stand still and see what? Patient waiting and you will see the salvation of God. You know what most of us do? We turn back long before we get to the Red Sea. And we never see God work in powerful ways. I'm going to encourage you this morning. Trust the hand of a sovereign God who is working all things together for good. Powerfully and capably and with full knowledge. That's so why you shouldn't trust your own judgment. You, don't, you do not know what tomorrow is going to bring. That's what Jesus meant when he said to the disciples, don't take thought for your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to do tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough trouble for itself. You can't handle it. Trust him. That's what Jesus means. He's a sovereign God. He's fully capable. And he will take care of you. Trust prompts patient waiting. It prompts bold, durable, lifelong obedience. This text in Isaiah 45 goes into a brief discussion of the potter's house. Here's how it ends. He goes to the potter house, and, and here's what God says. Just real quick, listen to this. He says, woe to him who quarrels with his maker. What do you want me to do? Why did you let this happen? Have you ever quarreled with God? Carmel, did you quarrel with God this week? Okay, Carmel wants good stuff and difficult stuff. Called in interviews on short notice and he's like, God, why don't you give me a week? Because I don't need a week. That's what God would say to you. Carmel, I don't need a week. You may need a week, but I don't. I'm going to work through you. Woe to him who quarrels with his maker. To him who is a potsherd among the potsherds on the ground. To someone who's a broken piece of pottery. Here's what God says. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? We've got some people in our church that throw clay. Karen Remy throws clay. I don't know, presumably, Marissa, maybe you throw clay here and there. Clay has a certain characteristic to it. It's a fascinating characteristic. When you take wet, soft, pliable clay and you throw it down on the wheel, you know what it does? It starts shaping itself into things. Isn't it? Now, what's it do? just lay there. You know what God wants you to do? He wants you to lay there. He doesn't want you to lay there until you show up on Google Maps, okay? He wants you to lay there until he begins to work in your life. And you know what? Tim Hoff hates laying there. I hate it. He says, you know what he says? He says, and you hear the sound, right? And he says, be still and know that I am God. You know what I want to do? I want the pottery to grow legs (laughs) and run off the wheel. That's what I want. You know what God says? Trust me. I am sovereign. If you harden your heart, you know what God does? God will say, okay. You're just a part shirt thrown on the ground, no use. The only use of potters in the Old Testament was to scrape boils on someone's skin. And God throws you on the wheel, and the one predictable characteristic of clay is surrender. It is surrender. It has no plans, it has no will, it has no picture of what it will be. It is just there under the hand of sovereign God. And I believe that is the greatest challenge of Christian living under a sovereign God, is to just be there and be pliable to the touch of the master, Potter. As he seeks to shape you in the fashion that he has designed, and some of you will be glorious pieces of china, gold-tipped, and the rest of us will be clay vessels, but all fit for the master's use. Paul would say to Timothy, you know what? God has vessels of honor and vessels that are less honorable, but they all serve his purposes. Folks, listen. Stop looking at the gold edged china and surrender and watch what God will do. You know, one day Jesus Christ picked up a basin of pottery. I wonder what that was like. Do you picture it as ornate, beautiful, glazed, multicolor kaleidoscope? It's not what I see. You know what he used? He used a very basic bowl. Why? He doesn't need fancy china. You know what most of us as Christians do? We would surrender to God if we had greater capacities. And therein lies the lie of the evil one. Your life isn't worthy. And God will not work through you. Because you aren't special. Folks, listen, I know I'm not. I know here that God is sovereign. As I study through his word, he's more sovereign than sometimes I want him to be. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because some of you are this morning, you're like, I'm going to go look at those verses after church and see if he twisted them like he likes them. That's what you're thinking. Oh, no, no, I can get around that one. Well, you will get around it, but you may end up with a God that is not the one who wrote the word. When you keep excusing him for what his word says. I would challenge you and encourage you. Let God be God and every man a liar. Let all of our presumptions about God fall away. And let him rise for who he is. And then rise with him. Just simple vessels. That God can use. And take the gifts that he's given you. Take the life that he's given you. Take the gospel that he's given you and change your life with and go change your world. Stop degrading yourself. Stop waiting for the perfect opportunity. There are none. It's a sinful world. But there is a God who's in control. Let's pray. Father, as we conclude this service,